0: Howdy. Howdy. We are glad to see y'all this morning and uh, glad everybody made it here. We are thankful to be able to start the year with you guys. Um, hopefully you were able to uh, finally find a parking place, get in the door, find a seat. Um, let me just quickly reiterate, if uh, you are interested, we do have a couple of other options for you in terms of service times. We have a 6 p.m. service that's exactly like this one, meets in the same building. Um, and then we also, over at our Southwood campus, uh, across from AM Consolidated High School, they have an 11 a.m. college class over there. So uh, if you are interested in checking those out as well, we'd love to have you do that. Um, all three are basically the same in terms of worship and the teaching that happens. And of course, we love to have you guys here at 11 a.m. as well on Sunday morning. Um, I heard that there was at least one person who ran here from campus this morning. Uh, Maybe over here. Can I see over here? I don't Okay, I don't see him. All right. Well, wherever you are, I got a water bottle for you. Um, (laughs) It's because I figured you could use it. All right. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse... 16. And before we pray, I'm just going to read down to verse 20. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning that your spirit is here in the room with us. We praise you this morning that your son, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead, as we just sang, and because of his resurrection, we know that we have eternal life if we believe in him. And so, Father, we pray this morning as we study your word, that you would really fix our eyes upon those things that are eternal, those things that go even beyond this life that we live. Let us recognize that every person is an eternal being and every moment has eternal significance. And I pray we would live accordingly. God, we pray as we study your word that you would open up our minds, that we would understand it. I pray remove any confusion or doubt. Move in our hearts that we really would believe Father, I pray if there are any in here who don't know your son, Jesus Christ, that they would clearly understand who he is and believe. And then, Father, I pray empower our bodies, our hands and our feet to serve you. We thank you, God, and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, It's no secret that College Station in some ways is kind of a smaller community than say Dallas or Houston. If you've just moved into town, you may have noticed that it's just a little bit smaller, although this time of year it gets crammed with uh, cars and a lot of traffic and it can feel like a big city. Uh, But in some ways, uh, we have a little bit more of a small town feel. And uh, as a result, you are not as likely on an everyday basis to have a celebrity sighting here in College Station as you might in Dallas or in Houston or Austin. And uh, it's very rare. And so when it happens, it's kind of a big deal. In fact, I remember one time when I was in college, uh, one of my roommates came back to our apartment and he was excited because some people had spotted uh, Julia Roberts and Lyle Lovett at the Post Oak Mall. All right, so uh, we talked about it for like a week. You know, it was, it was the thing. It was really all we had to kind of occupy our time that week, I guess. And so uh, we talked about it a lot and it's pretty rare. Uh, So because of that, I wanted to share with you guys my own personal celebrity sighting uh, here in town. Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I were at the movie theaters, and uh, usually when I go to the movies, I am kind of focused, I'm more task-oriented than I am people-oriented. All right. So I want to get the tickets, get the food, find a seat, get in. And so I'm usually kind of just laser focused on the goal of getting into the theater. And as we were walking into our theater, there was another group of people walking out. And as we were moving forward, Shannon kind of grabbed my arm and she goes, Matt, look over there. It's Chuck Norris. Right. And we looked over and sure enough, walking out of the theater with uh, his wife was Chuck Norris. Walked right past us. Now uh, you guys know Chuck Norris, right? Uh, he has starred in all kinds of wonderful movies, right? Like Forest Warrior, <laughs> Top Dog, uh, Delta Force Part Two, right? Anybody? Okay, and of course Walker Texas Ranger, right? The show that uh, your grandmother watches on TNT. You guys have seen Chuck Norris, okay? And uh, so this guy is a martial arts expert, huge star. You guys have also probably heard some of the Chuck Norris facts they were going around a few years ago. Let me just, I got to share a few. Okay. Uh, Chuck Norris's tears can cure cancer. Too bad he never cries. Um, When the boogeyman goes to sleep at night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. Uh, Chuck Norris doesn't call the wrong number. You answer the wrong phone. Uh, When Chuck Norris does a push-up, he isn't pushing himself up. He's pushing the earth down. All right. And then finally, when Alexander Bell invented the telephone, he he had three missed calls from Chuck Norris. All right. So you guys have heard all those. So as he's walking by, I'm thinking about all of this. And uh, we just kind of went in. We sat in our movies. Well, wouldn't you know it that uh, about two weeks later, we were walking in again and we saw him again. Walking out of the movie theater. Now, he has some property here near the area, so sometimes he's in town. And uh, it was just Shannon and me, and him and his daughter were walking out. And uh, I just didn't have the presence of mind to stop and ask for an autograph. I was a little afraid of getting like a roundhouse kick to the face or something like that. (laughs) All right. But uh, now, every time I go to our movie theater, suddenly this ordinary place has has taken on new significance for me. So every time I walk into the movie theater, I'm kind of on alert looking at the people around. Maybe there's somebody important here. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that where something that seemed really ordinary suddenly took on extraordinary significance in your life. Maybe it was a place that you were, maybe it was a a time you got onto an airplane and found out you were sitting next to somebody famous. Uh, Maybe it was you're having a normal conversation that turns into a job opportunity. Uh, maybe it is you come to church on a normal morning and you find out that you are sitting next to your future spouse, right? May happen, okay? And, and there are instances in our life where something ordinary, an ordinary moment, an ordinary person can suddenly take on this deeper, extraordinary significance. And I think as Christians, if we pay attention to those moments, they remind us of a deeper spiritual truth. And the deeper spiritual truth is that there are no ordinary people. And there are no ordinary moments. And the reason is because if you believe in Jesus Christ and if the spirit of God lives in your heart, and if it's true that Jesus has risen from the dead, then it's also true that our lives are meant to be lived with an eye fixed on the eternal so that every person I meet is an eternal being who will either spend eternity with God in heaven or eternity separated from him in hell. Every moment that I lived in is an opportunity to impact another person for eternity. And so there are no ordinary people and there are no ordinary moments. And as we look at the New Testament, we see actually that the early Christians, particularly the apostles, this was how they viewed their life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ had changed everything for these men and women because it proved that God was alive, that he was active in the world that Jesus was his son, sin had been forgiven, and that there was a day coming in which Jesus would return and he would judge the world. And so they lived in anticipation of that. And there was no such thing for them as an ordinary moment. We're going to see that as we look at our passage this morning in Acts 17. We're going to see a time and a place in which the Apostle Paul, really, he's just kind of killing time. He's waiting for some friends to arrive, and yet in that moment, he remembers that he is called to an eternal task, that Jesus Christ has called him to make disciples of all the nations. So Paul's actions and words and attitudes begin to change and move towards sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in this moment where he's just waiting around. And as we look at this text, what it calls you and me to do is the same thing. To move out into the world around us, recognizing that every moment, every day, we're called to an eternal perspective. You're not just a student at Texas A&M or Blinn. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're not just going to classes. You're headed into an opportunity to reflect the love and the mercy and the truth of Jesus Christ every day of your life. That's what we're called to do. And as we look at Acts 17, I want to walk through what was the perspective that Paul had on his life and on those around us, and how can we imitate that perspective as Paul imitated Jesus Christ. All right, so first look again at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he observed the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you're proclaiming? for you're bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. All right, so Paul finds himself in this situation where he's kind of, it says he's waiting. Here's what's just happened. Paul, on his uh, missionary journey, has gone to a city called Thessalonica, which was uh, a ways away. Right, in Thessalonica, he began to experience persecution. He was beaten and he was chased down and they basically ran him out of town. They were going to kill him. And so some of the other disciples snuck Paul out of Thessalonica in the middle of the night and he finds himself here in Athens. But Timothy and Silas, two of his companions, are still waiting in Thessalonica. And Paul had told them, as soon as you can, come join me down here in Athens. Alright, right, so Paul's just killing time. He's waiting for who knows how long in Athens. But as he sits there, he looks around and he sees the architecture in Athens. And the architecture in Athens was known for being beautiful, but it also was filled with imagery of the pantheon of Greek gods and goddesses, Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite and all of these Greek gods and goddesses that they worshipped and believed controlled the universe. So Paul's looking around and it says his spirit is provoked within him uh, quite literally in the original language. That means he's angry. He's angry at the idols that he sees in this city and he decides he can't just sit still and wait. And so, what Paul does is he gets up and he begins to preach the gospel. He preaches in the synagogues, he preaches out in the street where people talk about ideas. And some people begin to listen to him the Epicureans. They were philosophers who didn't really believe in the divine at all, they believed that the world was essentially determined by random chance. The Stoics, they believe that the divine was in you, that it was up to you to create your own destiny, and these men start to listen, and they begin to question Paul because Paul took the opportunity to share, and some of them laughed and some of them didn't. Some of them were interested, some of them weren't, but they take him to what's called the Areopagus, which is the main center of religious dialogue in ancient Athens, and Paul begins to proclaim Jesus Christ while he is there. And the critical point that we see is that Paul recognizes there's no such thing as a disposable person. All right, that's the first thing we see. Paul says there's no disposable people. I want you to think for a minute about the people he's surrounded with. They're idol worshippers. They're immoral, many of them. And it makes Paul angry. And yet instead of reacting by withdrawal or reacting with judgment, what Paul does is he brings them the truth of Jesus Christ. He moves forward into their world and he says there's no such thing as a disposable person. Nobody you know, whether it's a clerk at the grocery store, whether it's your annoying roommate, whether it's Chuck Norris, nobody you know is a disposable person. Because Paul recognizes God has created every person in his image with the capacity for eternality, to live forever in God's presence. And so God cares about each person C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every person you sit with is either an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor. There are no disposable people. And if you're like me, I have a couple of temptations. One is I just tend to view people as background noise. When I go into a restaurant or I walk into the grocery store, I'm more concerned, like I said, about getting my task done than I am about thinking of the people around me and the fact that they are made in the image of God. And that doesn't mean that I will be able to pull out, attract, and share Jesus with every person I see. But it does mean that I always, as a Christian, want to remain attuned to the voice of the Spirit and ask God, how would you have me impact these people in this moment that you have me in? There are no disposable people. The other temptation that I have is, frankly, to pull away from people that I find irritating. And maybe you have that same thing. When I lived in the dorm on campus my freshman year, there were people in my dorm. and I know you guys have probably not felt this way ever, but I sometimes felt like there were people in my dorm that were annoying. They were frustrating and they had weird habits. We had a couple of mates, one of whom always was trying to take advantage of as many women as he could. And it made me angry. Another one was constantly intoxicated in the morning, in the night, in the middle of the night, right? He would have loud parties in the dorm next to us at 4 a.m. and wake us up. Another guy across the hall uh, was a self-imagined rock star, and he had blue hair, and he would walk over, and he'd say things like, should I name my band Soul Grind or Jesus Waffle? What do you think, right? And we would go, neither, right? I I don't know. So His roommate was a guy that ate baby food from jars that he stored in his desk, all right? So you'd walk in, and I'm not making these people up. Y'all are like, he's making these people up, all right? You would walk in, and you would start talking to this guy, and he would pull out like pureed carrots and start munching on it. Gross, right? Now, forgive me if that's you, all right? But just don't do it when I'm around. Don't come in my office with your baby food, okay? Okay. And so sometimes I was tempted to kind of pull away from these people and think, I just want to stay away. And yet I began to feel the conviction of the Spirit that God is calling me to engage with these people because he loves them. And that's what Paul sees. God loves each person, everyone in this room, everyone in the world. And there's no such thing as a disposable person. And so Paul begins to preach the gospel And as we look at his speech, we're going to see a few other key elements of his understanding of the world that comes from his understanding of who God is in Jesus Christ. There's no disposable people. But then we see Paul also preach there's no random circumstances. Look at verses 22 to 28. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, "'Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription.' to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. All right, Paul begins by pointing out an interesting feature of Greek worship, and that is around the city of Athens, they had these altars to unknown gods. And the reason they did that, there were gods that they knew about. Like I mentioned, they had this whole pantheon of gods, Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite and all of these different gods. But there were things that would happen in their world that they couldn't explain by means of one of the gods they had. So what they would do is they would just erect an altar and they would just offer sacrifices to a god we may have offended. So if there's a famine or a drought and none of the normal gods seem to be doing it, they'll just build this little altar to an unknown God and say, let's sacrifice here. Maybe that'll stop it. If there's anybody we've upset, make them a sacrifice. So their worship had this feel of randomness. I imagine for a moment that a husband were to sit down with his wife each morning and sit down with her and say, sweetie, I just want to tell you, I'm very, very sorry. Will you forgive me? And she says, for what? He says, I, I don't know, but I know by the end of the day, we'll know what I did wrong, right? Okay, it's a coverall, and that's what they were doing. They said, we may have offended a God somewhere, so we're going to sacrifice to whatever God And so there's this feel of our life is chaotic and random. And Paul comes in and he says, no, that's not the way the world is. The God who made the world, he placed you exactly where he wanted you. He placed me exactly where he wanted me. And before you were born, he determined the country you were going to live in. He determined the boundaries of your habitation. And do you know why he did that? So that you would find him so that you would know him. In other words, from the beginning of time, God has been working through men and women, through cultures, through nations, through circumstances, to bring as many people as possible to know him. God's not hiding himself, Paul says. He's chasing us down. And so you say, yeah, maybe I'm here at A&M and it's just, it's random. I wanted to go somewhere else, right? Maybe you, you wanted to go to that school in Austin. So every time people say, uh, yeah, exactly, So every time you think about it and people start hissing, you're upset, right? Maybe you wanted to go somewhere else. Maybe you wanted to go to an Ivy League school or maybe you just uh, ended up here because this is where your parents have always been. Maybe you're, you're thrilled to be here and you think I'm here because I wanted to be here and this was my plan, my plan from the beginning of time. And yet the scripture tells us God has you here in this moment, in this place, partly because he wants you to know him. And if you don't know him, He's calling to you through Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but also because he wants to use you to help other people know him. Remember, there's no ordinary people, there's no ordinary circumstances. God knows you're here, he sees you every moment, he knows why you're here. When my wife and I went into the hospital to have our third child, Samuel, I was walking through the hall while they were kind of prepping my wife for the surgery and everything. I think I had gone to get a bottle of water. And as I was walking down the hall, I ran into a doctor, a neonatologist, a guy who takes care of uh, preemies and little babies, and I, I ran into this guy, and it, it was a doctor who had helped us take care of our second child, Abigail, and uh, he recognized me from two years prior, which was amazing, and he looked me in the eye. And he said, hey, good to see you. How are you? How's your little daughter? And um, we talked for a minute, and I said, well, what are you doing here today? Are you on shift? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not here today. I just came in to check on a patient. I just happened to be here. Something happened. I'm on my way out, and we parted ways went into, uh, the operating room uh, where my wife was going to have our baby. Our, our baby boy was born. And when he came out, uh, he was not breathing. He was blue. He, he turned purple. They couldn't clear his uh, sinuses out. His lungs apparently weren't developed enough. And so I look over and I see my son lying on this table and he's, he's just lifeless. And, uh, they pick up, they pick up the phone and, uh, they call this guy and, uh, the door opens and this doctor uh, rushes in the room, the one I just talked to a minute before. And what's interesting is he wasn't a Christian man. He was a guy that uh, believed in a polytheistic religion, really, from another culture. But he runs in the room, he takes my son, he puts him on on oxygen, uh, wheels him out, looks at me, he says, he's going to be okay. We've got him taken care of. We're going to take him down here. He'll be fine. And walks out of the room. Well, over the course of the next week, uh, my son was in the NICU, and he got better a lot faster than they expected. We got out of the hospital probably about a week earlier than they expected. And uh, as I reflected on that, I thought, you know, it would be easy for me to take this as a random occurrence. And yet I look at that, and Shannon and I had already talked about Acts 17 before we had our son, that God had placed him here for we don't know what reason. So I wrote this doctor a note and I just said, I just want you to know, I have to let you know that the God who made you and me, I I really believe he had you there in that hospital for a reason. One was to save my son and the other was so you could hear about the God who's reaching to you and wants to know you. And so Paul says, there's no such thing as a random moment. No such thing as an ordinary person. And he continues by saying, if that is true and if God is reaching for us in Jesus Christ, what Paul strongly believes in is there's no other way to know God except through Jesus Christ. And that's why he's out on the Areopagus risking his life and his reputation to preach it. Verses 29 to 31 says, Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. All right, what Paul is saying is this. He's he's not saying that prior to Jesus, everybody went to heaven. All right, what he is saying is this prior to Jesus, men and women were not held accountable for the full knowledge of God's plan of salvation, right? Because Jesus had not come, he had not died, he'd not risen from the dead. And so uh, God was overlooking, in a sense, their ignorance. If they were condemned, it wasn't because they didn't know about Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, And Jesus has risen from the dead. Paul says, there's no excuse for your ignorance. There may have been a time in which ignorance was acceptable, but that's not the time anymore. And so God in Jesus Christ is calling everybody everywhere. He says to repent. That means for them to turn away from the worship of these idols and turn toward belief in Jesus Christ. And for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus Christ had changed everything. Ignorance was no longer acceptable, right? There's typically a time in your life when it's okay if you don't know some things, right? If you're a kid, there may be things you can say and do when you're five, six, seven, eight that you can't do as an adult. Uh, give you a case in point. When I was about eight years old, I went uh, on a photo scavenger hunt with some of my friends. And uh, back then we didn't have digital cameras. So it literally was like a Polaroid. You'd snap it and then like three hours later, the little picture would slowly come out of the camera. You know, you'd take it and you'd shake it. And so we went on this little Polaroid scavenger hunt at the mall and they had given us a list of things to take a picture of. And one of them said, uh, take a picture of a pregnant woman pushing a baby stroller. Uh, Some of y'all already know where this is headed, right? So uh, we walked up to a lady who was pushing a baby stroller and uh, she looked like she was five or six months pregnant. And so, uh, we walked up to her and we said, uh, madam we've got to take a picture of a pregnant lady pushing a baby stroller. Would you mind? And she says, I'm not pregnant. And, uh, but she, she recovers very quickly and she says, but my friend is, and so maybe she could push my stroller and you could take a picture. Now, she was very gracious. Why? We were eight, right? Now, <laughs> if I did that today, I'd get a, a slap in the jaw, right? Uh, the comedian Dave Barry says, you should never ask a woman if she's pregnant unless you see an actual baby emerging from her body at that moment, right? (laughs) Ever. Okay. Now, you know that when you were a child, people let it slide, but not anymore. And Paul says, before Jesus came, God did not judge you for your ignorance, but now God is calling you to turn to Jesus Christ. And there's only one way. And as we talk about heaven and hell this semester, that's going to be kind of the theme of our series. As we talk about it, this is going to be a critical point that the scripture is clear. There is no way to know God. There is no way to have eternal life apart from believing in what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. If you're here this morning and you never believed that Jesus died for your sins and rose again so you can have eternal life, if you've not believed that, the scripture calls you to do that this morning. God has placed you in this room so you can hear this message that he wants you to know him. And there is no other way to eternal life. And Paul believes that so strongly that he preaches it. And for those who believe it, we are called to share it with the world. Acts chapter four, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, no one else. So God calls you and me to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard, And Paul so strongly believes that he's willing to experience persecution and beating and even death because he recognizes I'm called to see with eternal eyes. There's no other way. And then finally, Paul believes there's no greater mission than the one Jesus has called us to. Verses 32 to 34. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we will hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined them and believed among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Some people believed in Paul, some people laughed at him. If you preach the gospel, some people will believe, some people will laugh, some people will ostracize you. Some won't want to hear it and some will. Scripture promises that there will be persecution for all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, but there will also be the opportunity to participate in what God is doing in the world. The last words that Jesus gave to his disciples, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus had risen from the dead and he says, now you go tell everybody. And so, for these early Christians, they they believed it because they had seen Jesus. And so they ran and they told everybody they could about the mercy of a God who would send his only Son to die for our sins. And that's what Paul does. And the reality is, we may not have physically seen Jesus alive, but he's no less alive now than he was 2,000 years ago. And he's no less calling you and me to make disciples. I, I love the opportunity that I have as college pastor here to see men and women in college catch the vision to spend their life, whatever your vocation is, but to spend their life making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about here. If this is your first Sunday at Grace, if you've never walked in, or even if you've been here for a while, I want to I exhort and encourage you to know that what we are about is making disciples and then sending you out all around the world to make disciples. We have men and women who sat in your chair who are now in Greece and they are in East Asia and they're in a Muslim context and they're sharing the gospel and seeing churches build and seeing men and women trust Christ. We've got men and women who are working as engineers and architects and all kinds of professions all over the country sharing Jesus Christ. And I love that privilege that I have. If you want to know what Grace Bible Church is about, that's what we're about. That's why we try to teach you to study the word. That's why we encourage you to know it well. So from the base of knowing God well, you can then share it with others. And that's what Paul sees as his mission. And he says, there's no greater mission. There's no better way I can spend my time. There is no ordinary moment. There is no ordinary person because every person is eternal. Every moment has eternal significance. And so Paul says, I'll dedicate my life to that. As we start kind of the new year what I want us to do is I really want us in this room to ask that we will begin to see with that eternal perspective, to see people for who they are, that God has made them and wants to know them. They have an eternal destiny in either heaven or in hell. And God is calling us to share the message of Jesus Christ and teach people to follow him. So one day we can worship him together from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Jamie's going to come back up and do a final song as we close. And as he does, I just ask, as we sing, as we meditate, I just want you to reflect on uh, this passage and also ask that God would motivate and move in your heart to give you a passion to reach this campus, to reach this community, and eventually to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Father God, there is no one higher, no one greater than you. And so our heart's desire is that with everything we have, everything we are, everything we do and say, we want to reflect the glory of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. We believe that he rose from the dead and that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything because you are active in the world. You want people to know you. And so, Father, I pray as we go to classes this week, as we go to work, as we move around in this community, let us be lights for Jesus Christ and see with the eternal eyes you're calling us to see with. We love you, God. We pray all of this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week.